on last week, uh, we started a new uh, Bible study series surrounding the book of Esther. Uh, if you uh, were here, oh, now three and a half years ago during the midday Bible study, this would be repeat for you, but uh, if you were not privy to that Bible study at this time, then this is brand new information, and I dare say that it is uh, completely brand new. What is it they say when they change the color of the box on, a, on detergent? New and improved, that kind of thing. That, that, that's what this is, because you really don't get a whole lot about Esther. Uh, we, we started last week by saying that uh, for many people, uh, for a long time, me included, uh, I didn't think that Esther even belonged in the Bible. And I had reasons for that, some of which I shared with you last time we were together. Uh, Esther never mentions God one time. In, in, in the entire book, God is never mentioned. In the entire book, worship is never mentioned. In the entire book, praise is never mentioned. In the entire, nothing related, related to the worship of God is ever specifically mentioned in the book of Esther. And so, uh, based upon a surface view of Esther, someone might come to the conclusion that Esther might not belong in the canon. And then someone might ask the question, if that's the case, then why is it in the canon? Uh, what, what is it that allows for Esther to be in the canon? And we, we told you last time that while there is no specific reference to God or worship, there are references to important uh, uh, religious points and ideas. And uh, the primary purpose for uh, the presence of Esther has to do with the development of uh, the Feast of, of, of Tabernacles, uh, what, which is one of the major feasts of uh, the Old Testament or of ancient Hebrew times. Uh, the, the others include uh, Pentecost and Passover. So the, the, there were three major feasts uh, of ancient Hebrew uh, times, uh, Pentecost, Passover, and uh, tabernacles or booths. Uh, the other thing that's significant about Esther is that we come to see that through Esther, God's people are spared. So that even though God is not directly mentioned in the book, <clears throat> there is a, a salvation uh, aspect to the book of Esther. And, and by the way, uh, just, you know, sometimes you say things and you realize that maybe not everybody understands what you mean when you say it. Uh, so if, if you already know this, then forgive me. I'm not calling you stupid. I'm just making sure that everybody is on the same page. When we say salvation in the church, we typically think about Jesus. 
And Jesus is our Savior. There's only one Savior, and that's Jesus. But salvation literally means to be delivered. So that while, while our salvation, while the main salvation has to do with Jesus, there are several other uh, aspects of salvation, several other examples of salvation, several other as, uh, examples of deliverance that take place throughout the scripture. Moses is called what? What, what, what is one of Moses' uh, nicknames? He's called the great deliverer because he uh, was instrumental in leading God's people from Egypt to the promised land. Didn't get in. We're going to have a conversation about that when I get to heaven one day. But uh, 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 he, he didn't get in. But he led them to the promised land. David, on many occasions, is known as a deliverer, as, as, as a source of salvation for his people. So when I say uh, Esther delivered her people, or Esther saved her people, uh, that, that there's a salvation aspect to the Esther story, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not suggesting that Esther is a messiah uh, in, in no way, shape, or form. But I am saying that Esther uh, used what she had in order to deliver her people from uh, what would have been certain death. And here's the thing. All we can see that Esther had was that she was pretty. That's that, 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 that. Esther doesn't give wise words. Esther does not write great books. Esther does not, we, we told you, God is not mentioned anywhere in the book. Esther does not receive a vision from God or a word from God. And in fact, Esther has to be prompted into doing what she does. But, 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 but what she ends up doing is using what she had in order to deliver her people from, again, what would have been certain death. Now, I, I'm going to get in, we're going to cover Esther chapter 2 tonight. Uh, and, and the real story doesn't start until you get to Esther chapter 3. We hit one last week, which dealt with Vashti. Uh, two is this week. Uh, and, and, and the real stuff of the story starts next week when we get to Esther chapter 3. Stay tuned. Same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, but, 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 but leading you into that, let me say that there is something wonderful about the idea that God can use whatever in order to deliver. You, you have no excuse for saying God can't use me. You, 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 you have no reason to say I don't have the tools, I don't have the resources, I don't have the talent, I don't have the opportunity. All the excuses that we commonly come up with to explain why we are, 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 are doing nothing, are, are, are stagnant when God has called us to move. You have no excuse. Esther ain't have nothing but the fact that she was a pretty girl and she was messing around with a man who liked looking at pretty women. And, 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 and she used the fact that she was pretty as an influence to get him to do what he didn't even want to do. But, but, but it was the right thing to do. When, when, when David slew Goliath, do you know what David had? 
a sling, and five smooth stones. He ain't had nothing else. Saul tried to put armor on him, and, and, and the armor was too big. It didn't fit him. It was too bulky, so he ended up throwing that away. All he had was a sling and five smooth stones. What's your excuse? Moses tried to offer God excuses. God told him to go back into Egypt and, and, and lead his people out of Egypt into the promised land. Moses came up with all kinds of excuses why he couldn't do it. He, he, he told him that, that, that he, he was slow of tongue and, and he couldn't talk. He said, I got somebody who can talk for you. What, 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 what's your next problem? He said, well, they're going to ask me what, what your name is. It, it, if I say God sent me, they're going to say, which God? What God are you talking about? You tell them my name is I am that I am. And what, what's your next problem? Well, well, God, why don't you just send somebody else? And then, no, I ain't sending nobody else. I'm sending you. He said, well, I don't have anything to, to, to show that, 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 that you are the one who sent me. He said, what's that in your hand? He says, it's a shepherd's staff. He said, throw it down. He threw it down on the ground, and the shepherd's staff became a snake. Moses jumped back, and, and God said, don't be scared of the snake. I'm the one who made it into a snake in the first place. Now, now go over to the snake and pick it up. And when he picked up the snake, the snake became a shepherd's staff again. He said, now you got something. Go. What's your excuse as to why you can't do what God told you? to do. Noah preached for 120 years that rain is coming. And the first thing folk wanted to say is, what is rain? Because, because it had never rained. Prior, prior to Noah, there had never been any such thing as rain. And, and Noah was told by God that rain is coming. And they, you know, they, they came around because they saw Noah doing something that didn't make any sense to them. They saw Noah building a boat. And he was building a boat on dry land. And, and, and they said, well, Noah, what, what, why are you building this boat out here in the middle of this dry land? Why, why aren't you close to the water? He said, well, God told me to build the boat. And he said, it's going to rain. He said, well, what is rain? He said, water's going to fall from the sky. And they looked at him like he had lost his mind. 120 years. He talked about rain coming and nobody wanted to pay any attention to him till the rain came. And when the rain came, they come beating on the boat. And Noah couldn't let them in because it says God shut the door. And when God shuts something, man can't open it. And when God opens something, man can't shut it. I'm trying to make a point. I'm going to get into this in just a second. I'm trying to, I, the point I'm making is you ain't got no excuse for why you can't do. Other than the fact that you're lazy and trifling. And you don't want to do it. That, 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 that's really what it comes down to. When you start making excuses to God about what you cannot do, about what you are unqualified. First of all, if God called you, what makes you think you're unqualified? Second, if God called you, what makes you think that he hasn't equipped you to do what he has asked you to do? Stop coming up with excuses and be about the business of using whatever it is that you have to do what God said do. Last week we looked at Esther chapter 1 which dealt with the queen at that time, a woman by the name of Vashti. 
she was married to King Xerxes. Uh, King Xerxes was the head of the Medo-Persian Empire. He had provinces really scattered throughout the world that were all in obeisance to him. And he decided to throw a week-long party. And he got drunk, and everybody around him got drunk. And in his drunken state, he orders Vashti, at, at, at the insistence of his instigators, his, his advisors, quote unquote, turned into instigators, he, 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 he says, uh, tell Vashti to come in here and, and show off her beauty. I, I, I want the fellas to see what I'm married to. And, 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 and he says, I want her to come in here with nothing on but her crown. In other words, he wanted to exploit her. He wanted to exploit her beauty. He, he, he wanted to uh, show that she was inferior, that she, he wanted to objectify her. And Vashti said, no. Said, you tell Xerxes I ain't doing nothing. And she would not come. And Xerxes, I don't know if it was because he was drunk or if he just wasn't used to anybody telling him no. He didn't know what to do. And, and, and so his advisors told him, you need to pass an edict. You, you, you need to outlaw Vashti. And you need to outlaw any woman who does anything like Vashti did. Because before you know it, all these women are going to look at what Vashti did, and they're going to say, well, if Vashti can say no, then we can say no too. And, 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 and that will mean that women have moved out of their place. That ain't me talking. That's what the scripture says. That, that, that women have moved out of their place, and we're not going to allow that to happen. So Xerxes says that's a good idea, and he passes this edict, and Vashti is banished from, from, from being uh, the, the queen of the Medo-Persian Empire. Vashti looked at exploitation and looked at discrimination, and she said, I've had enough. I ain't going to do this. I'm not going to be a part of it. Well, that's, that's one response, and, and that's what we talked about. That, that there is the response to that kind of discrimination and bigotry and abuse that says, no, I will not participate. I will not be a part. Esther, who covers the rest of the book, has a different response. And we are introduced to Esther and to her uncle-slash-father, uh, in chapter two. You ready? Y'all still with me? All right. Esther chapter two, starting with verse one. Later, when King Xerxes' anger had cooled and he was having second thoughts about what Vashti had done and what he had ordered against her, the king's young attendant stepped in and got the ball rolling. Let's begin a search for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint officials in every province of his kingdom to bring every beautiful young virgin to the palace complex of Susa and to the harem run by Haggai, the king's eunuch who oversees the women. He will put them through their beauty treatments. Then let the girl who best pleases the king be made queen in place of Vashti. The king liked this advice and took it. Here begins the story of Xerxes vainly seeking to satisfy his restless soul. 
by initiating a search for someone to fill the void in his life. Now, read it literally, and that's what it is. But there is a spiritual aspect to the story that we can draw from this. Spiritually speaking, this is the story of human life without God. If you are a human being, if you are a male or a female, and you don't have God in your life, you are always seeking, never finding. You are always restless, never satisfied, never daring to be alone. Do you know people who don't know how to be alone? Girl, I was just sitting here by myself, and I decided to call you. What you calling me for? You by yourself. That's a, I was by myself, and I was happy by, my, by myself. So, 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 so what you call? But there are some people who don't know how to be alone, who don't know how to get along by themselves, constantly searching. We, 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 we talked to y'all last week about, about Christmas time when, when I was a child. We'd start in October looking at the catalogs, trying to figure out what we wanted for Christmas. And, and we would tell mom and daddy, this is what we want Santa to bring us for Christmas. And, and, and Christmas morning would finally look like it took forever to come. But when it finally came, we would break into the living room and we'd get our toys and we'd be all excited about what we had for a couple of hours. And then all the excitement was gone. You've done everything you can do with what you got. You've played and played and played, can't do nothing else with it. And so now you're looking for something else to fill the void. Well, that, that, that was when I was a child. But grown folk do the same thing. <laughs> grown folk run from relationship to relationship looking for something to satisfy them. They run from job to job looking for something. You, you, you know, this generation of young people, they don't know what it is to get a watch after 30 years of working in the same job. You know why? Because they ain't going to work in the same job for 30 years. They're a year over here. They're two years over there. They're five years over there. They're always, they, they're always looking for something else. Never satisfied. Never content with what you have. Never recognizing the importance of building from what you've got. They would rather throw stuff away and start all over again. It is indicative of the life without God. When God is at the center of your life, when God is the, is the foundation upon which your life is built, it does not mean that your life is always perfect, but it does mean that you always know that there is a rooted, grounded, solid, strong foundation. And there is satisfaction that comes from having that relationship with God. Xerxes starts looking for a new wife to replace the old wife that didn't have to be the old wife, except he messed up. And so she became the old wife. I, 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 I want you to see that this lack of satisfaction generally leads to poor choices. 
and dire consequences for everyone that's involved. Now, I want you to see something else. Xerxes didn't just come up with this idea on his own. This idea comes from the, 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 the advisors, the crew around Xerxes. You ain't gonna hear me say no whole lot about, uh, 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 a whole lot of good things about crews. Be careful who you run with. Be careful of who's in your crew. Because more often than not, somebody in your crew don't mean you no good. They sense that, 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 that Xerxes might be softening. They sense that Xerxes might, might, might think about changing his mind about the, the edict that he passed on Vashti and on all the other women, that they had to do whatever their husband said. So <clears throat> before he can get to the place where he says, you know what, I really miss Vashti. Uh, I miss her smile. I miss that giggle. I, I miss looking at her. Y'all go find Vashti and bring her. Before he can get to that, they said, you know what, king? They got a whole lot of other pretty women out there. You know what we need to do? We need to find you a new wife. We need to find somebody else. Now, I want you to see how they planned on doing it. Let the king appoint officials in every province of the kingdom to bring every beautiful young virgin to the palace complex of Susa and to the harem run by Haggai, the king's eunuch, who oversees the women. He will put them through their beauty treatments. <laughs> then let the girl who best pleases the king be made queen in place of Vashti. What could they possibly be referring to when they say best pleases the king? Now, think about this. Go, go back to Esther chapter 1. Verse 1, this is the story of something that happened in the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces in all, 127 provinces. Flip over to Esther chapter 2. Let's begin a search for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint officials in every province. How many provinces were there? 127. Appoint officials in every province to bring every beautiful. That's more than 100. That ain't just one per province. Read the text. Every beautiful woman. Y'all know they got more than one beautiful woman in Baton Rouge. Every beautiful woman. Appoint an official to bring all the beautiful women here to Susa and let them strut their stuff in front of the king. And the one 
that pleases him will be the new queen taking the place of Vashti. What is this? This is misogyny and exploitation. This is people who have power using their power over those who have none. This is what constantly takes place, not just in prehistoric Persia, but in the year of our Lord, 2020, in the United States of America, in the great state of Louisiana, in the capital city of Baton Rouge. Exploitation is a universal problem. Here, the exploitation is specific towards women. It's misogyny. But exploitation happens with many groups. Exploitation happens within races or from one race to another. It happens within tribes. It happens within economic groups. These women have no choice. Once the king says that this is what we're going to do, they have no choice. They must comply. If an official says, you pretty enough, get over there then they got to get up from where they are, and they got to get over there. We going to Susa. Where's Susa? Susa's where I'm taking you. And don't complain till we get there. What does that sound like to you? Slavery. You have no choice. You have no say. You have no input. It is what the one in power decides it will B. Now, in the year of our Lord 2020, the lack of choice has less to do with slavery and more to do with the belief that there are limited alternatives if we wish to experience a more successful life. In other words, the, 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 the exploitation is a little bit more sophisticated now. They, they, they can't put you in chains or put you in shackles and force you to go, but they can convince you that this is the only option that you have. That, that if you want to become more than what you are, you have to do what we want you to do. You have to comply with what we want. And as long as we believe that, we are going to be victims of exploitation and abuse. Let me tell you something. We live in a capitalist society. And capitalism is not objective. You know, in, in an objective society, the person with the greatest amount of talent usually prevails. Capitalism ain't like that. I know that's what they teach you. They, they, they used to sing a little song, any person can be, pre any little, not any person, any little boy can be president. No, he can't. No, he can't. And, and, and you need to stop telling 
people that. Capitalism is not objective. Sometimes the person with the most talent gets the least. Objectivity says that the one with the most talent gets the most, right? The, 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 the one with the greatest amount of talent should experience the greatest amount of success. That's not the way it works. Capitalism is not built on the idea of equality or equity. And there's a difference between equality and equity. Equality says that we treat everybody the same, which, which is ridiculous to begin with. Equity says that we give everybody the same opportunity. That's different than treating everybody the same. Because if you don't have as much as the other person, let's take taxes, for example. To, to, this state has the most regressive taxes of any state in the nation. Because we don't pay property taxes, and some of y'all are happy about that. You don't want to pay property taxes. But, but, but let me tell you what happens when you don't pay property taxes. You, you, you end up paying sales taxes. And you end up paying millages. Every, every couple of months, they, you got to go back to the polls and tax yourself with a millage because you don't want to pay property taxes. You go to states where they pay property taxes, where there is no homestead exemption, or the homestead exemption is extremely low, and they pay more in property taxes. But you know what? To counter the fact that they pay more in property taxes, they don't pay as much in sales taxes. Now, now you're going to say, well, what's the difference? A tax is a tax. Oh, no, 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 no. There's a huge difference between a property tax and a sales tax, particularly if you don't own no property. He, 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 here's, here's something that a lot of folk miss. If you don't own no property, you don't pay no tax. And who don't own property? I'm sorry, who doesn't own property, y'all? I'm talking a little bit too common for y'all. Who, who, who doesn't own property? Poor folk don't own property. You want to know why we have a $75,000 homestead exemption? Because rich folk don't want to pay property taxes. Paying nine cents on the dollar for groceries at the store doesn't mean as much to a person who makes $150,000 a year as it does to a person who makes $36,000 a year. It's a huge difference. The, the, this idea that taxes are taxes. No, it isn't. And, and, and so it's a form of exploitation to say that, that we're going to keep property taxes low and we're going to keep sales taxes high. And they will say that it's equal because it's 9% across the board. But it ain't equal because everybody don't make the same amount of money. It's exploitation. And you participate in it. The last time anybody brought up the homestead exemption in the state of Louisiana was Buddy Roma. And some of y'all weren't even old enough to know who Buddy Roma is. And you know what happened to Buddy Roma after he brought up lowering the homestead exemption? He wasn't governor no more. He was a one-term governor. 
because in the middle of his first term, he actually had the audacity to say, we should get rid of the homestead exemption. Have you lost your mind? They put him out of office. Exploitation. Capitalism is exploitative. It is not built on objectivity. It is not built on equality. It is not built on equity. It is built on exploitation. And capitalism is the system that we have to live with. I am not crazy, and I am not a radical, and I'm not sitting here saying that we have to get rid of capitalism. I've got sense enough to know that's not going to happen. But what I do need to tell you is that every day that we are a part of capitalism, we are a part of a system that exploits. And because you are black or brown or poor, and some of us are all three, you're the one who gets exploited. You're the one who gets taken advantage of. Bring all them pretty women from every province. Make them promenade themselves in front of the king. And the one who pleases the king the most will become the new queen. That's what we're doing. We're promenading in front of those with power. Here's something else you need to know. And I'm going to get off this soapbox because I only got 28 minutes. Here's something else you need to know. People with power don't share power. Power is a zero-sum game. Those who have it do not want to share it. And when they are forced to share it, it is grudging. You've got to take it. Because they ain't interested in giving We're promenade. We, we, we think that because we got a, a middle management job working at the plant that we have overcome. No, you haven't. Because you don't own anything. I'm not talking about your house. I'm not talking about your car. I'm not talking about those things. I'm talking about you don't produce anything. You don't have your own business. You have nothing. And you know how, you, how I know you have nothing? Because after you've been on that job for 30 years, they give you a gold watch and a, and, and a plaque. And you gone. And that's the end of that. You have nothing. Today, the, the, the big term is generational wealth. That is where you get to pass on some. You don't pass on your middle management job to your baby. But if you have a business, if you, if you are an entrepreneur, if you're willing to build something, then even in an exploitative, discriminatory society like capitalism, you can carve out your own path. One of the, one of the worst things that ever happened to Negro folk was we thought that once we could integrate, all our problems wove. We thought that because we could live in the same neighborhood with them, and because we could go to the same schools as them, 
and because we could be part of the same clubs as them, that we were them. but you ain't them. And when the situation arises, they will let you know that you ain't them. Okay, moving on. I'm bothering somebody. That's okay. Now, there was a Jew who lived in the palace complex in Susa. His name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite. His ancestors had been taken from Jerusalem with the exiles and carried off with King Jehoiakim of Judah by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon into exile. Mordecai had reared his cousin Hadassah, otherwise known as Esther, since she had no father or mother. The girl had a good figure and a beautiful face. After her parents died, Mordecai adopted her. When the king's order had been publicly posted, many young girls were brought to the palace complex of Susa and given over to Haggai, who was overseer of the women. Esther was among them. Haggai liked Esther and took a special interest in her. Right off, he started her beauty treatments, ordered special food, assigned her seven personal maids from the palace, and put her and her maids in the best rooms in the harem. Esther didn't say anything about her family and racial background because Mordecai had told her not to. Every day, Mordecai strolled beside the court of the harem to find out how Esther was and get news of what she was doing. Right. Jewish. She was Jewish. And, 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 and Mordecai told her to keep that to yourself. All right, let's, let's talk about this. The book is named Esther. But the pivotal character in the book of Esther ain't Esther. It's Mordecai. Because Mordecai is the one who, who, who pushes Esther into doing what she does. He is a pivotal character in the story. Now, if you want to put Mordecai in the best light, then you will say that he was a wise counselor and sage advisor to Esther. If you want to put him in the worst light, you will say that he used Esther in order to further himself and by accident help his people. Mordecai was not, I'm in the lesser light of Mordecai. I, I, I don't see Mordecai as a high and, and, and integritous individual. I see Mordecai as looking at this and saying, okay, I, I, I can get somewhere with this. Play it over in your mind. Posters go up all over the place. Pretty young girls. Mordecai ain't pretty. He ain't young. And he ain't a girl. Pretty young girls, sign up here. We going down to Susa. 
Y'all going to get into the queen contest. Xerxes needs a new queen. You're going to be, you, you have an opportunity to be the next queen. Mordecai can't be the queen. But he knows somebody who might be. I want you to see this. Mordecai is a victim of exploitation. Mordecai has been exploited by the very empire that he now is going to exploit his cousin for. Do you know anybody who's been exploited, who turns around and exploits somebody else? Here's something for you to, to think about, and, 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 and this is science. The victims of child abuse have a greater propensity to actually be perpetrators of child abuse. Those who observed alcoholism in their home by significant others have a greater likelihood of becoming alcoholics themselves. That's not me talking, that's science. Those who have, who have seen the abuse of drugs are more, than li are more likely than those who have not to become drug abusers. It's what you're exposed to. Here's how that plays a role here. Mordecai has been a victim of exploitation. He's been a victim of a governmental political system where he is not a person, he is limited in his opportunity. He can only do what the government says he can do. He can only act as far as the government says he can act. But within the system, he sees an opportunity to exploit somebody else. And the one that he's going to exploit is his little cousin, Hadassah, also known as Esther. He, 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 here's my point. Exploitation is not made better by virtue of the outcome. Somebody's going to say, well, yeah, he exploited her, but in the end, she saved the people. Okay. In the end, she does save the people. But it doesn't change the fact that she was exploited. That's like saying that lying is okay depending upon the lie that you tell. Y'all know folk like that? There, 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 there's some lies that are dirty, low down, no good lies. And there's some lies that are okay lies until they lie to you. Yes, sir. But if, if that is the way God chose to deliver his people. Yeah. That means that God worked within a system. That does not mean that the system itself is right. That means that God moved within a system. And God has always moved within systems that are not right. Jim Crow wasn't right. God moved within a system. Separate but equal was not right. But God worked within us. You can't say that because God worked through it, 
that that made the system okay. It doesn't. It, it magnifies the power of who God is. That systems that, that appear to be oppressive and defeating and inescapable, God finds a way of escape. It speaks, to, it speaks to the power of God, but it does not speak to the integrity of the system. You can't make capitalism right. Because capitalism is built on exploitation. You can't make it right. But we live within a capitalist society, and we're going to die in a capitalist society. So, 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 so then what, what are we going to do? Are we going to become fatalistic and say, well, I can't do nothing? No, what you do is you learn how to work within a capitalist society in order to carve out a place for you and for yours that can be beneficial and helpful. But that doesn't make the system itself right. Turn in your Bibles. Y'all looking at me funny. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Verse 43. Everyone around was in awe. This was after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Everyone around was in awe. All those wonders and signs done through the apostles. And all the believers lived in a wonderful harmony, holding everything in common. Holding everything in common. What, what, what does holding everything in common mean? In case you're not sure what that means. That means that people gave up individual possession of everything. They put everything they had in a pie and said whoever needed it could use it. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. That ain't capitalism. Yet that's how the church was birthed. That's, that's why we do what we do right now. That, that's why we are Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Because we take our resources and we pull them together to make sure that those who don't have, have. Now, we're limited. We're one church. And we're one church filled with poor people. And this is where I make folk mad. Because you think you ain't poor. Guess what? You are. Miss a check. Miss two. And you'll be the one knocking on my door. Hey, Reb, I need to talk to you for a minute. You poor. So we are limited in our resources, but we take what we have and we pull them together to make sure that those who have less than we do have something. That's the church. That's Jesus. But that ain't capitalism. Capitalism believes in survival of the fittest. Forty years ago, 
a man by the name of Ronald Reagan ran for president on, uh, on the economic principle of trickle-down economics, which is if you make sure that the wealthiest have it first and the wealthiest are taken care of, then the, then, 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 then the abundance of what the wealthy have will trickle down to those who have less. It's called a trickle-down theory. Here's the problem. It never trickles down. It never trickles down. Some, I, I, I wish I could remember exactly who it was. Uh, I was listening to the news yesterday morning. Some CEO of some company that, is, that, that, that has now been fired because he had done a poor job got a $60 million severance package. for doing a poor job, for being voted out as the CEO. He got as his severance package $60 million. And they said it was a good deal because he gave up $13 million in stock options that he could have used. I'm trying to get you to see something. Exploitation is exploitation is exploitation. I don't care what system you want. You, you can't dress it up, you can't spray perfume on it and turn it into something other than what it is. And it doesn't matter who's doing the exploiting. And, and, and that's my fear with regard to some of us. Some of us have been exploited. I told you about alcoholics coming as products of alcoholism and abusers coming as products of abuse. Some of us are products of economic exploitation. And we got one step above everybody else. And now we're the ones who are exploiting other people. Mordecai looked at them flyers, looked at them posters, listened to those people talking. He said, I know somebody who could fill this void. My little cousin is cute. I'm going to send her down to Susa. I want you to see something else. It says that after he sent her down there, he watched over her to make sure that she did everything. Every day he passed by walked by the courtyard where Esther was with all the other girls, making sure she says the right thing, making sure she does the right thing. Don't think that everybody who wants to hang around you just loves you. Some folk are hanging around you because they want to monitor you. They want to see what you're doing. They want to see who you hanging out with. They want to see who you talking to so that they can control you. Mordecai hung out so that he would know whether or not Esther makes a mistake. Each girl's turn came to go into King Xerxes after she had completed the 12 months of prescribed beauty treatments. After she had completed the 12 months, this went on for a whole year. 
the 12 months of prescribed beauty treatment, six months treatment with oil of myrrh, followed by six months with perfumes and various cosmetics. When it was time for the girl to be the king, to go to the king, she was given whatever she wanted to take with her when she left the harem for the king's quarters. She would go there in the evening, in the morning she would return to a second harem overseen by Shigaz the king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She never again went back to the king unless the king took a special liking to her and asked for her by name. In other words, the king brought her in, used her, did what he wanted to do with her, and then she became disposable. Yes. They became disposable. Now, I know I'm, I'm making some of y'all mad. That's all right. I don't know who's mad, but who comes back next week. But let me tell you something. In the lives of a whole lot of folk, you are disposable. People don't just love you. People, people will never think about you till they need something. Until you show that you have something that they want. And then once they get what they want, remember, they all went in as virgins. That's what the text says. Only virgins need apply. They all went in as virgins. But once the virginity was gone, the king had no use for them anymore. Said, said they, they went in one door and went out another. Couldn't even go back out the same door they came in. And, and, and they went over there, and they were never summoned back unless the king called for them by name. So then what happened to them? They languished. They languished over there with all the others who had been used and thrown away. Like life. The story of Esther needs to include the tragedy of what happened to all of these other young women. If you're not careful, you'll get caught up in what happened with Esther and you'll forget the fact that there were hundreds, if not thousands of women who came from across the provinces of Persia who were used and disposed of so that Esther could become the queen. Now, you listen to some of these people on television, these Pentecostal preachers, and, and they'll talk about favor. That's God's favor. God, God showed his favor on Esther. Well. I think that God is a little bit better than that. God doesn't have to show his favor by allowing these thousands of women to be abused and misused. 
And if that's what you call favor, then you and I have different definitions of what favor is. These women were were, were exploited in the worst possible way. They were used in the worst possible way. They, They were forced to give up that which for many women is the most precious thing to them, their virginity to someone not of their own choosing. In effect, it is a high society, high class rape that took place. Because when you are forced to submit against your will, I think that's called rape. And once the rape was over, they're disposable. I want you to be careful not to allow people to rape you. Don't give up that which is most precious to you. Don't give up your personal integrity. It ain't worth it. It is not worth it. It's the only, it's the system. That's the way the system. You you don't have to give up your integrity in order to be a part of the system. You don't have to swing at every pitch that's thrown. Some pitches are balls, not strikes. You let the balls go by. Somebody is is frustrated with with themselves. Somebody's frustrated with their lives. Somebody is frustrated with their place in life. But here's the thing. You have frustrated yourself because you allowed yourself to be prostituted in order to gain something that you thought you wanted. But in point of fact, what you thought you wanted was the worst thing that ever could have happened to you. There's there's a, a, a minor prophet book named Hosea where God tells Hosea to go and get him a wife. Go, go, go out and find a woman of whoredom. Go out and find a harlot. Go out and find a prostitute and make her your wife. And Hosea goes out and he finds this young girl named Goma. And, and, and he brings Goma into his, out, into his house. And, and Goma becomes Mrs. Hosea. And, and, and Hosea treats Goma like a queen. But Goma is not satisfied with being Mrs. Hosea. And after a while, Goma decides that there's something better out there. If I just go out there and get it, there's something better out there for me. Goma had three children, but only one of the three belonged to her husband. The text says she bore him a son. And then she bore a son and a daughter. 
without designating that they were Hosea's. So while she was still in the house, she was still looking outside, doing other stuff. And then she finally decided she, she, she wasn't going to stay in the house no more. And she left Hosea and the three kids and went out to find what she thought would make her happy. In the process, she ended up tied up with a man who didn't mean nothing good toward her and was taking full advantage of her. And God told Hosea, go back and get your wife and bring her back to you. Hosea said, it ain't that simple, God. She doesn't belong to herself anymore. She, she, she has been sold into the services of someone else. But this is, since you told me to do it, this is what I will do. I won't just go get her. I'll buy her back. I, I will pay the price that the man who owns her wants, and I will bring her back to me. Not everybody has a Hosea. Not everybody has somebody who's willing to sacrifice and buy you back. So here's my advice, and I got to stop because I'm out of time. There's more to the story. Y'all can finish reading it for yourself. But, but, but here's my advice. When you find yourself in a good situation, don't leave it. Don't, 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 don't throw away what God has blessed you to have thinking that there's something better on the other side. Yeah. I heard it this way. The grass is green on the other side because it's AstroTurf. <laughs> it ain't real grass. Jarrell, you ready to play? Just as I am without one plea. May we stand together, please? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou biddest me come to thee, O Lamb of God I come I repeat after me please the Lord bless you the Lord keep you the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace amen y'all have a good evening